Uh, Eric is right that uh, it is much easier to hear sermons on theology uh, than it is that of family and things that deal with us personally. It's also easier to speak. I would much rather be doing a discourse on supralapsarianism this morning, uh, but that's not what the Lord has burdened me for over the last year is uh, the dealing with the family. And uh, this morning we're going to take a look at the wife's responsibilities before the Lord and also women in general. And I've seen some hands already going up. Yes, go ahead. Uh, what I want to focus on is three main areas that I have seen as being uh, needs that need to be addressed, even in our Bible-believing churches. And that is a wife's priority to her husband, a priority to purity, and a priority to her home. We live in a society that, Genesis chapter 1, the responsibilities of a wife in the three areas, her priority to her husband, to purity, and to her home. We live in a society that actually hates women. And I'm not talking about male chauvinists out there. The people that hate women the most are women. Feminist women hate women because they really want women to be men. Our society hates women. They want to enslave women, subjugate women. They want women to throw off their God-given roles, which will bring them blessings and joy, and trade it all for a house of cards. You may say to yourself, today's woman is more free, more independent than ever, but I beg to differ. Listen, ladies, our world endeavors to pull you out of the place where you can have the greatest impact on future generations, which is the home. Our society wants to destroy homes and families. Every mainstream worldview, except for Christianity, seeks to destroy the home, the family. I teach a worldview class at school. It's called UTT, Understanding the Times. And it is an in-depth study into the six major worldviews that dominate our globe. And they're fundamental primary teachings that most people on the planet are going to believe. They're going to fall in one of these six areas. And one of the major tenets of five of these worldviews, because one of them is Christianity, is they all believe in one form or another in the destruction of the family and home. They also believe in the subjugation of women. This is some of their fundamental beliefs. In communism or Marxism, they hate religion and the family. And Marxism works to destroy both religion and families. In this philosophy, nothing can be exclusively yours. You share everything. Even women are to be shared by all men. Under, Marxist, under Marxism, marriage is ultimately to be abolished. And so no woman in that final state of communism is supposed to belong exclusively to any one man. That woman belongs to all men. So that's Marxism's goal for you as a woman. Secularism is another major worldview. 
It believes that marriage contributes nothing except turning women into breeders and slaves. Women are to have the same roles as men if they're going to be equal. And so ultimately, secularism, which is the majority of our culture in which we live in, wants to turn women into men. They want to do away with femininity. Another major worldview is postmodernism. The postmodernist says that marriage oppresses women and limits sexual freedom. So there's really no morality in postmodernism. You can have intimate relationships with whomever you want, whenever you want. This philosophy makes women objects of lust. And it makes men into nothing but unreasonable beasts and unreasoning beasts. Another worldview is new spirituality. And this one is just the main philosophies of westernized Eastern religions. The new spiritualists believe that marriage is nothing more than a stage in the search for inner truth. They believe that people who divorce are actually seen as successful. That they have evolved into a higher state of consciousness. So divorce within this philosophy is a good thing. People are growing to the point that they no longer need others. They believe that traditional marriage and family is counter-evolutionary. In Islam, it is taught that women are inferior. And it promotes polygamy. In the Hadith, Muhammad gave approval to Muslim men to have intimate relationships with slave girls. In some Islamic states, girls as young as nine years of age are married off to Islamic men. And there is a difference between mainstream Muslims and Islamists, but that is for another day in another class. Under Islam, women are nothing more than slaves. It is only the Christian worldview that sees women as valuable because God places a high value on them. Every other worldview hates traditional marriage. They hate women. And therefore they are going to hate what God sets down as what a home looks like. What a godly family looks like. What husbands and fathers are supposed to be and what wives and mothers are supposed to be. And I'm going to tell you this up front, that we have, even in Bible-believing churches, fallen into some of these philosophies about the wife and the mother and about the home. And ladies, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing that I asked the men to do. That you may very well need to put some things on the execution block to make your home, your husband, and your children the priority. You may need to cut up a career. Put it on the chopping block. You may need to do that to a job. You may need to do that with relationships with friends from high school or college. Maybe it's things that you like to go and do. And listen, none of these things in and of themselves are wrong. But if they are causing you to neglect your primary responsibilities, your primary ministries, then yes, they are wrong. The glorifying of God... And the honoring of the Lord Jesus Christ is at stake. And as I said last week to the men, some of these things are hard to hear. But you need to hear difficult things before you can experience joy, healing, and freedom from the satanic oppression. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask for wisdom this morning. I ask for boldness. 
I ask that you open hearts to accept and obey your truth. Father, if I say something that is too pointed, dull it in the hearts of your people. But Lord, if I am not pointed enough, pierce the heart with truth so that you may be glorified and that Christ may be exalted. Amen. It says in 2 Kings 9, verses 1 through 3, Meanwhile, Elisha the prophet had summoned a member of the group of prophets. Get ready to travel, he told him, and take this flask of oil with you. Go to Ramoth-Gilead and find Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi. Call him into a private room away from his friends and pour the oil over his head. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. I anoint you to be king over Israel. Then open the door and run for your life. Since some of these things can be hard to hear, I have my car running (laughs) right outside the door. And when I am done, I'm going to open the door and run for my life like the prophet But I hope you know, as a preface to this, that I love you enough to tell you the truth. And so that's what I'm going to do this morning. Your elders, all of them, love you enough to deal with the difficult things. Let's look at Genesis 1.27 this morning. It says in Genesis 1.27, And God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Both men and women are created in the image of God. And both of them have equal standing before God. But as we will see, they each have different roles. But that has nothing to do with equality, the different roles. As I talked about last week, just because a wife is commanded to be submissive doesn't mean that she is less than her husband or that she is a second-class citizen. And as I mentioned last week, if we believe that, we've actually destroyed the Trinity because the second member of the Trinity, the Son, submits to the Father, but they both are God. They are equal, yet they have different roles. But our society sees women as less when they are doing and achieving, unless they are doing and achieving the exact same thing that men are. There is a comprehensive denial by our society that men and women are made different. Once again, remember that God only blesses His way. And He blesses husbands that seek to be godly husbands. He blesses wives that seek to be godly wives. So let's begin to look at what the role of a wife is according to Scripture. If you would make your way to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We spent a lot of of our time here last week. We're going to move around a little more. But we want to start here this morning. And my first point is the priority of her husband, the priority of her husband. Remember down in verse 32, it says that this mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ in the church. 
So marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. And as Christ has loved his bride, sacrificed for his bride, and is sanctifying his bride, so does the husband do for the wife. He is to love her as Christ loves the church. He is sacrificing for her. He is providing for her as Christ does for the church. And in turn, the church submits to Christ. And that is the picture of the marriage relationship. Verse 21 of Ephesians 5 says, And being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And then verse 22 it says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. So what does this mean? A lot of people will look at verse 21 and they will sort of bring the two thoughts of 21 and 22 together and lessen what it actually says. Some say that the Apostle Paul is talking about mutual submission to one another even in marriage. But that's not what's being taught here. If this passage is teaching mutual submission to one another in the husband and wife relationship, then it actually cancels out submission. If verse 21 is talking about the husband and wife mutually submit to one another, then there is no use having verse 22 at all. So if you have this mutual submission, what do you do when the husband and wife disagree on an issue? Also, how can the husband have authority and leadership and responsibility of that leadership if there is no followership? To have a leader, you have to have those that follow. If you claim to be a leader and no one is following you, you're not a leader. So listen, verse 21 is talking about believers in general. There is a mutual submission among believers in the church. And let me give you an example of this. If I come to you with the Word of God and I say, Brother or sister, I see this in your life. There's a sin here. What should the response be? There is submission. There is repentance. And there should be confession of that. Say three weeks later, you see something in my life as an elder, a sin, and you come to me with the Word of God and you say, Brother, I see this in your life. What should my response be? Should it be... (laughs) No, I'm an elder. I'm far above you. I don't need to submit to anyone. No, it should, I should submit as well to what the Word of God says and repent and confess that sin. That is what the Word of God is teaching us here in verse 21. So that's where this mutual submission comes in with believers interacting with other believers. This is iron sharpening iron. But now in verse 22, the relationship narrows. No no longer is this the broad relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. It now narrows down to the marriage relationship in verse 22. He talks about the marriage relationship and then it goes down to the children that come from that marriage relationship. And he talks about husbands. Here Paul is telling us how to function in our families with our different roles. And the wife's role is to be subject to her own husband as unto the Lord. You submit to your husband as to the Lord. It is for the sake of the Lord that you do this. The word submit is hapatuso in the Greek. It means to relinquish one's rights. And the verb here in the Greek is in the middle voice 
which emphasizes the willing submitting of oneself. The command is to those who are to submit, not to the authority to demand it. Do you hear that, men? It's not demanded. Because the way this is worded in the Greek, it makes it clear that the wife is to voluntarily do this. Okay? So the command is to those who are to submit, not to the authority. This is a voluntary response to God's will to give up one's independent rights. The wife is not commanded to obey her husband as children are to obey their parents and slaves their masters. A husband is not to treat his wife as a servant or as a child, but as an equal for whom God has given him care and responsibility of provision and protection. And this is all to be done in love, to love as Christ has loved the church, which is a massive command as we saw last week. As Paul proceeds to explain in considerable detail in verses 25 to 33, the husband's primary responsibility as the head of the household is to love, provide, protect, and serve his wife and family, not to lord it over them according to his own personal whims and desires. This submission is to be to her own husband, She willingly makes herself subject to the one she possesses as her own husband. It really sounds simple when we talk about this. But to put it into practice is a different thing. It sounds simple. The husband just needs to provide for his family, protect, serve, and love his wife. The wife in turn needs to submit, respect, And she is the home manager. But we have a problem. We have the problem of sin and the curse. Listen to what it says in Genesis 3.16. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. The word desire there means to seek control over. The Lord warned Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, to control you, but you must master it. Part of the curse is that the wife would desire to usurp the place of a man's headship. And that of a husband, he would resist that desire and would rule over her in a dominating way. With the fall and its curse came the distortion of a woman's proper submissiveness and a man's proper authority. But God uses this for our sanctification and being conformed to Christ's image. Both the husband and the wife must die to self and the desires of the flesh. So let's put this in practical terms. What does submission look like in the home? There's a decision that me and my wife need to make in our family. I should not just say that since I'm the head of the household, we're going to do it this way. And I have done that, and 99.9% of the time, I've fallen flat on my face. That's Gentile leadership. That's putting people under subjection, subjugation, slavery. It's not biblical leadership. What I should do is go to my very best friend, my trusted counselor, my wise partner, my wife, 
And I go to her about this big decision that needs to be made. And if we're in agreement, then great. We move forward with that decision. But what if she kindly disagrees? Do I then just go forward and do what I wanted to do? Well, for me now, because of this woman, she has demonstrated time and time again that she has my best interest in mind. That's a red flag for me. Because in my relationship with my wife, I see things that she cannot see, but very much on the other hand, there are things that she sees that I do not see. And so if we disagree on something, I think maybe we both need to take a step back and talk about this more. Pray about this, think about this, and see if we can come to unity over this. But if we can't, If we cannot, and a decision has to be made, we can't come to unity over this decision. As the head of the family and the husband, I would then have to make that decision. Now listen, men. If you're right, you don't gloat. If you were right and she was wrong about the decision that needed to be made, there's no gloating about it. Listen, your wife, if she is a godly woman... She wants to see you be successful in the decisions that you make for the household. So she would be happy that you would have made a good decision. So don't gloat over it. Wives, if you are right and your husband is wrong and he messes up, you don't gloat over that either. Wives, understand that your husband will be held to a higher standard of judgment than you will. Being a husband and a father is a fearful calling. Now maybe he doesn't know that. Maybe he makes all sorts of not so great decisions about you and the family and he hasn't learned the fear of the Lord. You need to pray for him. When he makes a wrong decision, you need to be a blessing to him. Remember, to whom much is given, much is required. So verse 22, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Look down now at verse 33. And it says there, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Ladies, you will never get out of that man what you want, what you desire of him, if you're disrespectful to him. Let me tell you what happened in my own life. And I do this, I do this, I'm, I'm putting myself out here for your benefit. I do this in front of my family. My family knows exactly who I am and what I am like. And so I am doing this because I greatly desire that you experience the grace and joy that God has brought in my own heart, my own family, my own life. You have this angry man who is distant, which is me, who is pouring himself into his work, into ministry, literally seven days a week. I'm pouring myself into other people and I have nothing left to give to my home. But my wife continues to respect me. She continues to love me. And she continues to desire that I lead our home rightly. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. It was God's work through her that melted my heart. Ladies, if you respect your husband, even when they're failing, even when they're 
not giving you what you desire to have. He will have no cause to fight with you if you are respectful to Him. Let me tell you something how this works within a man. You see, a man feels really bad when he's hurting people that he is supposed to be tender and to care for. It makes him upset. And then you know what he wants to do? He doesn't want to apologize. He wants to fight. You know, because when he fights, when he picks that fight with you, he then can feel justified in hurting you. Does that make sense? It doesn't. But that's what a lot of men do. They want to be justified in the way that they're treating you because you come back at them. But when you continue to respect Him, over time that can melt His heart. Respecting Him even when He is not being what He should be disarms a man over time as it did in my case. It shamed me and it brought me to repentance. Paul Washer gives this illustration of respecting your husband. You will hear wives sometimes say that I wish my husband would change. I cry out to God, please change him. I pray that God would change him. They go to the pastor and they say, I've been crying out to God for 15 years and he's done nothing to change this man. And what happens is they forget about Romans chapter 12 where it says, give place to the wrath of God. Paul Washer then goes on to talk about castles in Europe. And he says, you go to the front door of a castle, and it's very wide, the gate there, where about 30 soldiers can walk side by side into that castle. But as you go on into the castle, there's a second floor, which we would call the keep. The steps leading up to the keep are only about two foot wide. You then come to a door that's about the same width, and it's about five foot high. You see, when the castle is attacked and they breach the front door, everyone rushes into the keep. Now the castle may be defended by just a handful of men. There may have been a hundred men that came through the front gate. But as they attack the keep, those enemy soldiers have to go up those flight of stairs one at a time. And that means that that soldier can meet you at that door and one soldier can defend that because it's then one on one. They're barricaded in. Paul Washer says when it comes to relationship, when husbands, when they feel disrespected, they barricade themselves in the keep. They lock themselves away in the castle. And then you want to fight at him. You want to send a barrage of words his way. And he meets you at the top of the stairs with shield in hand and sword in the other. And he's going to battle you with everything you've got. And you're battling him with everything you've got. And you're looking back and you're saying to the Lord, Why don't you do something? Why don't you do something? And the Lord is saying, Get out of the way. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. But many wives don't. They continue to disrespect their husbands and they lash at them with their tongues. A woman may try to form that man into what they want to be, but that will never, ever work. Listen, being a person that says what you think is not a virtue. What can happen is a failure to give place for the Lord to work on that husband's. And sometimes what has to happen is you continue to respect Him and you get out of the way and you let God handle Him. 
As a man who has been through this, my wife continued to respect me. And the Lord got my attention far better than my wife would have if she would have argued with me at every point and turn. And he has had to break me, and it was very painful. Now some of you wives may be thinking, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to respect that man to death, and then I'm going to get out of the way and let God beat the daylights out of him. (laughs) Well, that would not be with the right motive. You respect and submit to him as you would to the Lord. And a wife might, might say, you don't know what kind of husband I've got. I've got a husband that works all the time. He's into his buddies and his hobbies. He's like a little boy in a man's body. How am I supposed to submit to and respect that? Or it could be such as in my case, that I was all about ministry. I didn't have time for my wife and for my kids. Is she supposed to submit and respect a man who is absolutely uninvolved and disconnected? He is neglecting his family by his pursuits. Whether they're good pursuits or not, neglect is neglect. Just as a husband is to love his wife, no matter how she is acting or what she is like or how her behavior is. Because this love is agape love. It's a love of commitment. It is not based on my feelings. I am committed to loving that person no matter their behavior. It's the same kind of love that God has for us. If it's based on behavior, we're in trouble with God. And if it's based on our feelings and our relationships, our relationships are going to struggle greatly. And so, a husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. And a wife, no matter how the husband is acting, is to submit to him and respect him. The only time she does not submit to him is when he is asking her to do something that violates the Word of God. So submission and respect are not to be demanded of by the husband, but they are not to be withheld by the wife either. Love and cherishing and nurturing are not at His discretion because there are commands from the Lord, and neither is submission and respect at the wife's discretion, but are commandments of the Lord. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, I want you to see this a little more clearly. First Peter three. First Peter three verse one says in the same way you wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they're not being the man that they should be. They're not living up to God's commands. They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. How do most women seek to change their husbands? With their words. With their words. Wives, you will never, ever, ever change your husband with your tongue. You will change him with your behavior. Don't beat with words. Beat with hot coals on his head with your behavior. Now listen, sometimes this doesn't work out real well, as I found out Friday. I'm actually right here studying this. 
sitting in my chair in my living room. And I'm kind of solemn as I get towards Sunday because I'm really focused on what I'm going to say. I want to say things clearly, rightly, uh, in love. And so I I really roll over this stuff in my mind. And so my wife is trying to encourage me with truth. Well, I reminded her that I may be one without words, but by your behavior. I did find out that there is another option here. She said, I will win you without a word. And then she physically attacked me while I was preparing the sermon. She just jumped on me in the chair there. I don't personally recommend that, wives. The better option is to win him by your behavior, not by words or physical violence, as my wife sometimes resorts to. So we love like Jesus, continuing godliness in your behavior. Now Peter goes on to say in verse 2, as they observe your conduct, your pure conduct with fear. Verse 3, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding of the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on garments, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible quality of a lowly and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. What disarms me the most when I was a frustrated and angry man was my wife's hidden person of the heart. There was this quality of a lowly and quiet spirit. Once again, what I'm talking about here is normal marriage with normal problems. I'm not talking about a husband who is physically violent towards his wife or that is constantly emotionally and verbally abusive. Uh, You're not to stay there and be punching bags. Men, many times the issues in our relationships, the problems within our marriages can be because of us. Remember that we love Christ because what? He first loved us. The reason that our wives may not love, respect, or submit to us is that we're not loving them first. We love first. We are the ones that are to act like Christ does towards His church. But wives, even if He is not loving you first, you respect and you submit to Him because you want to honor Christ. And He will bless you for that. So we see the priority of the husband. Another issue that I believe that greatly affects women, wives, and the church today is that of purity. You have the priority of purity in your life. If you'll turn to Titus 2. Titus chapter 2. Titus 2. Look at the middle part of verse 4. Talking to wives here, young women. It says, Young women are to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be slandered. Now, obviously I don't have time to deal with everything here. But I believe many 
ideas and philosophies in our society have made inroads into our Christian homes and our churches. And these passages that we're looking at this morning are sometimes even looked down upon by Christians because society has so infiltrated the thinking of Christians. But always realize that God's way is best. That His way is the way of blessings. And it really does not matter what the world thinks. It doesn't matter what my opinion is or any other person's opinion on this planet is. It only matters what God thinks. It only matters what He says. And I think Satan has done the work to destroy our families, destroy marriages. And I think a lot of Christian men and women have bought into the wrong type of thinking in our society. They look at life and work and priorities many times through a secular worldview. And what suffers the most? The home, the family. And if the family is in turmoil, what is the church going to look like? It's going to have turmoil as well. I understand that not all women's movements are wrong. It is good that women vote. But our feminist movements have gone so far that they are anti-God and anti-Scripture. And what do we call something that's anti-God? It's satanic. It's anti-Christ. It's against Christ. And so we want to study the Scriptures carefully to make sure we're not getting called up in the philosophies and ideologies of this world system. Here in Titus it says that wives are told to love their husbands. Once again, this is a love of commitment. To love even when they're acting in manners that are unlovable. Next, they are to love their children. Loving your children is doing what is best for them, and sometimes what is best for them is not always the most pleasant thing to do. Wives are also to be sensible. This is common sense, good judgment. This will be necessary to manage the home. But before we get to the home manager, it says that she is to be pure. This is the wife, the woman, the teenager's obligation to purity. This refers primarily to moral purity, especially in this context to sexual purity and marital faithfulness. This is a conviction of the heart to be faithful to God, your marriage vows, and to your husband's. But I don't see this so much as just staying out of an illicit relationship. I think it even goes to the manner of how you dress yourself. And I think this is something that gets skipped over because as a man, I feel a little uncomfortable addressing this. But as an elder, I feel that it is a necessary thing that needs to be addressed. And that is, are you as a wife, a young lady, a single lady, being pure, being godly, being modest in your dress? I'm not talking about the world's definition of modesty. Their definition of modesty is if the main parts are covered, you're modest. Listen, 80 years ago, what takes place in what kids and young people and women wear to the mall, you would go to jail over. That's called pornography then. And the reason for this in our society, it really honestly... Men, I've got to be honest with you, it falls at our feet. It has been men, husbands, and fathers that have allowed and even pushed for the sexualization of our daughters and our wives. 
our culture has pushed upon men and women that unless you're five foot ten and weigh fifty pounds, you're not worthy of love. Listen, those women in those movies and those magazines are not what they appear to be. You've heard of Cindy Crawford. I said that the other day in my house and my kids just look at me like, no, I have no idea. I've got to remember they weren't around in the 80s. But Cindy Crawford said this. Cindy Crawford doesn't even look like Cindy Crawford. She said, do you really think my legs are that long? Do you know that they take out the fat roll with a computer? Do you know that they airbrush the cellulite away? And listen, our wives and daughters, they see these fake images and they think, that's what I need to look like. I need to show my body like that, my figure off like that, in order to get attention, in order to be loved. And what they're doing is they're comparing themselves with people that do not even exist. And men, we do not help our wives and our daughters when we allow things to be watched in our home that elevate and encourage immodesty and destroy true beauty. That sends such a powerful message that in order for my wife and my in order for my wife and my daughters to receive love and attention, they need to look like that and act like that. They don't feel loved or worthy of love. And it sends the wrong message to our sons that that is the kind of woman to look for. That women are nothing more than a consumer product for men. And so there can be this tendency for women to want to gain attention in ways that do not honor God because of the indoctrination by movies, music, magazines. Turn with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, I want you to see this more clearly in the Scriptures so that you can see that I'm not just up here with my opinion on these things. First Timothy chapter 2. Did I say 2 Timothy? First Timothy chapter 2. I think that's right. Sometimes my Lex Dixia gets the best part of me. <laughs> Some of y'all caught that. Yes. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Men are prone to sin of wrath and anger, fighting. But men are not to be that way. They are to lift up holy hands to pray. Instead of being angry men, we are to be men of prayer. Then the Apostle says this in verse 9, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, with modesty and self-restraint, not with braided hair and gold and pearls or costly clothing. So what does this mean? Paul wants women not to emphasize themselves. This is a call for humility here. The woman in Paul's day wanted to call attention to themselves. They wanted glory for themselves. And in so doing, they were taking away glory from God. Let's look at the first statement. I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing. There are right things to put on and there are wrong things to put on. 
Now this is not just talking about clothing. It does include clothing. But the word there for clothing encompasses the whole demeanor of the woman. And we see this when we look down in verse 10 when it says, "...but rather but rather by means of good works, as it is proper for women professing godliness, a woman must learn in quietness and all submission." So there are things besides clothing that a woman puts on. There's attitudes and actions. But looking back up at verse 9, this phrase, "...I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing," this also is telling us, that there are ways to dress yourself that is improper. And yes, we do have to say this to Christian young women and young ladies. Listen, if it was not a problem for Christian women to dress immodestly, then we would not need the command to dress modestly in the Scriptures. So, what is this clothing to be like? It is first to be modest. Husbands, dads, Wives, mothers, clothing on women should be for the adornment of your face. How one is dressed should draw attention to your face. The word modesty here is modesty mixed with humility. Godly women should be ashamed and feel guilty if she is distracting people from the right things. Ultimately, what's being talked about here in 1 Timothy chapter 2 is taking place in the church. But we can apply this in all areas of life. That you are to dress in a manner that does not distract in the church from the worship of God, nor should your manner of dress draw attention to your body and to your figure. You draw attention to your face. If the clothing that you wear draws attention to your figure, it outlines your figure then it is sensual. That is not modesty. And I got a lot of flack for this at the last church when I preached on family. It went south really quickly after this point. I got a lot of flack. And I was told by some fathers in the church that their daughters wore bikinis at the beach and that what men think is their problem. The guy sins by looking, not how the girl is dressed. Yes, it is a sin for the guy to think lustful thoughts. That's clear in Scripture. But I also had to tell them that it's sin on their daughter's part to draw attention to her body. Listen, if it is too low, too short, too tight, and you can see through it, then you don't need to wear it. It may be very accepted in our culture, but it is not acceptable to God. Wives, your body was made for one man, not for all the men in the community or the church. Daughters, young ladies, the same is to be said to you. You belong to your fathers until the day that He gives you away, and then you belong to your husband and only Him. And you have no right to do anything with anyone else or to show yourself off to anyone else other than that one man that you are spending the rest of your life with. Men, the same thing. You have no right to do with your body as you wish before you're married because your body belongs to God and to that woman that you will marry in the future. You don't get to sow your wild oats because those wild oats are sin. And also, you're creating such baggage. Yeah. 
that will carry over into that relationship when you find that right girl, that right guy. And then you've got emotional and physical baggage that hurts the relationship that you're in. What you do when you are young can leave difficult scars that you and your spouse will have to deal with. Listen, ladies, you need to understand that dressing in tight clothing and things that are too low or too short that shows off your figure, it's not beauty. It's not beauty. The Bible calls that sensuality. It's what the Bible calls is sin. It is the inward character traits of a woman that radiates from within her that make her beautiful. The way that a woman dresses should say modesty, discretion, wisdom, beauty, elegance, refinement, but not sensuality, luxury, or extravagance. Listen, ladies, let me put this to you as a challenge to go and understand what this means for your dress, for your daughters. In our home, my wife is modest in her dress. She wants our daughters to dress modestly. But listen, the final say of modesty as we're walking out the door is my call. It's my call. I am a man. I know how men think. And I don't want men thinking that about my wife and my daughters. Your husband needs to be involved in how you dress. Women think they know how men think. You don't. If you want to know how a man thinks, you need to go back there and get off the shelf every man's battle and read that to know how men think. Especially younger ladies, they don't know how men think. Young ladies tend to think that men think like young ladies. And young men tend to think that young women think like young men. But that could not be farther from the truth. Husband, father, part of your responsibility before God is to protect your wife and daughters. And that doesn't mean meeting the burglar at the door. Just that. We think that's all that it might mean. But it's protecting her purity, her honor. Once again, I want to emphasize simplicity. Simplicity in our homes. Simplicity in our dress. The world wants us to have all this stuff and experience all these things and dress in certain ways. Most of the time they are opposite of what God wants us to have. We buy things we can't afford and we spend our lives working ourselves to death and in all of that we destroy our families trying to pay for it all. That includes the way we want to dress. A woman can dress nicely and dress modestly. And what she shows forth is her beauty and her wisdom. I used to have Facebook at my last ministry. And I have long since gotten rid of that. And there's nothing inherently wrong with Facebook. You can be in sin if you want to. (laughs) No, there's nothing inherently wrong with it. But I would scroll through there and I would see church members... And how they dressed at the beach and how they let their daughters dress. And I think back on how how that breaks my heart. I want to go, where is dad? Where is the husband? Listen, I'm not trying to berate you men and fathers, but if we as godly men do not step up and teach and protect our wives and daughters, who else is going to do it? Because the world is going to exploit them. 
And we do this in love. Just because it's culturally accepted does not mean it's right. And look, I've heard the reasons. I've heard the excuses. I've taught in schools long enough. I've heard them from administrations. I have heard them from students and kids and people in churches. You can't find modest bathing suits or modest jeans or modest shorts. Well, girls' shorts are just made like that. You can't find any modest ones. Well, wear men's shorts, is my response. Well, they don't fit well. Then don't wear shorts at all. (laughs) Is it not far better to not sin by dressing immodestly and drawing others into sin with lust than it is to be cool in the summer? The Scripture says that it's better that a millstone be hung around your neck and you drown in the depths of the sea than to cause another believer to sin. Listen, there was a time where a young woman, a young lady, dresses for the sake of beauty, but now they dress for the sake of lust. And men, they may not know that. And so you may have to have some frank conversations with your wife or your daughter. Honoring Christ is at stake, and their honor is at stake. There was a time if a man just brushed the hand of a young lady that a lady's heart would pound, her face would flush, and she would run away quickly. The guy wouldn't know what to do. He just stands there all tore up, tore to pieces. But our world's not like that anymore. Our culture has sought to kill the innocence in our daughters. And for the most part, they have killed those things. Even within godly churches now, it's rare to find teenagers that have kept themselves pure, that have honored God with their minds and their body. Sin kills. It kills beauty. It kills innocence. It does nothing but destroy. Wives, be pure, be modest. Don't be extravagant. Mothers, teach your daughters to be pure, to be modest. Do not be extravagant. Husbands, fathers, protect your wife, protect your daughters from the sensuality and the lust of the world. And the question really should be, we should ask ourselves is, what does God think? What does God think about purity? Because it's much more than just abstinence. It goes to our thoughts, our motives, and to even what we wear. Our society puts pressure on women to conform to certain standards of behavior and dress. But what I have found is that if men will love their wives and daughters enough to tell them the truth, it brings freedom from those restraints. I've had a pretty good relationship with the teenagers at uh, the school that I teach of. You saw a bunch of them showed up last week. Um, And they want me to be involved in extracurricular activities. They want me to come to their volleyball games, softball games, which I do periodically. But they also want me to be involved, especially in prom. I don't know why. I'm not a fan of proms. As far as I'm concerned, it's nothing more than forcing boys and girls to come together in relationships that they are not ready for. And we put them in those positions where they can compromise their purity. So if it was left up to me, I would just outlaw all proms. 
but it's not. And so prom goes on at our school. But they come to me about organizing their prom and being involved in it. And I tell them every year that if I'm involved in prom, all the girls are wearing burlap sacks. (laughs) We're listening to Sovereign Grace music and we're eating pizza in the lunchroom. And they think that's horrible at first. And they ask me why. And I tell them, I care more about your heart and your future than I do about your temporary happiness. Those kids at that school, in the high school, know my thoughts on modesty and prom. But you know what they have done over time? They bring me pictures of their prom dresses that they're going to wear to see if they're modest. One year, I fussed over the volleyball shorts. That they were too short. And I really did kick a fuss. Uh, and they made it where the shorts could be longer, that they got longer shorts for the girls. Had those girls come to me and thank me that I did that because they said they felt like pieces of meat in those short shorts. And you can see these young ladies, what they want is someone to pull them back and to make them not feel like they have to try to be what the world says they have to be. They can be who they are. And that there will be a godly man that will love them for who they are, not what this world says that they have to try to be or to look like. It gives them more worth to do that. It brings freedom from the oppression of our society and of men. Listen, young ladies, if you're seeking to win a man by the way you dress and by the way you look, how do you think you're going to keep him when you get older? You have set a standard that the way you dress and the way you look is what wins a man and so he can be one away from you as you age. The relationship is not built on love. It's a relationship built on lust. And so there must be much more to a godly woman than what she looks like. Her beauty radiates from her character, from her love of Christ. And that never fades. That continues to grow. And that is why a godly man will love his wife more and more and more as they get older. And you know what? She becomes more and more attractive to him as they get older. Okay? I'm really into 45-year-old woman. One more. (laughs) To me, she is the most beautiful woman on the planet. But that is because what radiates from within, it's not because she looks like something out of a magazine, which I think she does. I think she is much better than that because she is a woman of modesty and purity and she loves Christ. So my question to you wives and mothers is, how do the daughters of God, the sisters of the King of Kings, dress themselves? So the priority of purity. Alright, moving back to Titus chapter 2 verse 4. She is to be pure, but she is also a worker at home. I'm already probably in a lot of trouble, so I'm just going to amend it. So I'm just going to go with it. Alright? We have the priority of the husband, the priority of purity, and now the priority of the home. If you remember last week, we talked about those concentric circles of responsibility that we have. These are our primary ministries. The primary responsibility of all believers is their personal relationship with God, their growth, their maturity through the Scriptures. Next in those concentric circles of responsibility for the husband, it would be his wife. She is his primary ministry. 
It is the same with the wife. Her primary ministry after her personal relationship with God is her husband. It then would be for both of them, if they have children, their children. And for men, next is work. It is the husband's responsibility to provide for his family just as Christ provides everything that is needed to his bride, the church. So man's work comes in there at fourth. For the wife, then, it is the home. She is responsible for helping. Notice I say helping. She's not to do all the work in the home. I do wash dishes sometimes. I do scrub toilets. I do sweep floors and vacuum. I do those things. I try to help out in the home. I can't do as much because I'm just simply not there because of the obligation to provide. But her responsibility is to help train and raise the children and make a home for her husband so as to support him as he provides for his family. MacArthur says that one of the hardest things for many contemporary wives to do is to be satisfied with being in the home. The greatest pressure on young wives today is the saturation of our culture by the ungodly precepts of radical feminism who believe that wives being homebound is an egregious form of bondage by males from which all women need to be freed. They insist that women should be free as men to work outside the home at whatever job and to whatever extent they want. That's secularism. That's what I explained to you at the beginning of the message. Listen, I don't know who these women are that thinking working 40 plus hours a week is freedom. It doesn't feel that way to me. Freedom for me is when I am at home. That's what I look forward to all day is being back in my home. For many years in the United States, more than 50% of mothers with children under 6 years of age have held jobs outside the home. For those with older children, the percentages are much higher. And those percentages are climbing every day. The trend is frightening even to many secular observers who recognize the damage being done to young children who spend a large part of their time with and receiving a large part of their training or lack of training from adults other than their parents. Statistics also make clear that extramarital affairs increase exponentially with women who work outside of the home simply because of the, they're greatly exposed to temptation. In addition to that, they often find themselves under the authority of a man other than their husband. It is the husband's responsibility to protect his wife. But by, sending, by, but by sending her out and her spending just as much time out of the home as he does, she is then more vulnerable, more exposed to stresses, harm, and situations that she was not designed to carry. And then guess what she has the responsibility of when she hits the door at home? The home. She's trying to work two full-time jobs. And you can't do that and manage a home. At least, I don't think that you can. When the mother is away from home, younger children most often are cared for away from the home. They need to be at the home as much as possible and not deprived of their mother's companionship and instruction. Women who have no children or whose children are grown obviously have fewer obligations in the home and therefore more time available. And the point is not so much that a woman's place is in the home. It is that her responsibility in ministry is for her home and family. 
She may have a reasonable outside job or choose to work in a church or a ministry in a Christian organization, a hospital, a school, or many other ways. But the wife's excuse me, but the wife's special domain is always should be it also always should be the higher priority over making money or a career is the home. Now I understand that there are situations in which women who have children have to work. If you're a single mother, you have to work. If your husband has abandoned you and your children, you have to work. And I do think there's some obligation from the church there to come alongside and to help. My job is not to get into the particulars of how much you should be in your home or how much you should be out of your home. But I think husbands and wives must pray and use good judgment in deciding how much time can justifiably and wisely be spent in activities outside the home, whether at a paying job or in some form of service. When they have a genuine desire to obey and honor the Lord in all things, and to conscientiously seek guidance from His Word and prayer, they can be assured He will provide the necessary wisdom and resolution. Listen, the true female victims today are not women who are willingly bound by love to the Lord, to their husbands, to their children, to their home. The true victims are rather those women who have been deceived by unbiblical and satanic feminist ideas about being liberated from God and from the home. The home is where a wife can provide the best expression of love for her husband. It is where she teaches and guides and sets a godly example for her children. It is where she is protected from abusive and immoral relationships. And she has greater protection from worldly influences. Remember, the husband's job is to sanctify his wife. And I think that's one way, one way this is done. Are we having children and then advocating the raising of those children to other people, even good people? Ladies, I just don't think that we can raise godly offspring and fulfill God's commands for the family by spending the majority of our hours outside of our home. You can't manage what you're not there to manage. And you can't raise children that are not there to raise. And man, I think once again, some of this lays at our feet because we're so concerned about the money, the retirement, the hobbies, the entertainment, the nice vehicle, the big homes that we keep our wives from fulfilling God's command for them. Or we may be more concerned, we should be more concerned with raising godly children. But I think sometimes even good Christians can be more concerned about having things and experiencing pleasures. And I think the question that needs to be answered is, am I fulfilling my role as a wife and a mother, as the manager of the home? Or are we trying to have heaven now? Or are we seeking to lay up treasure in the heaven? Keep in mind that one of the responsibilities of a husband is to sanctify his wife, to help her grow in spiritual maturity, and also to protect her from things that could hurt her spiritually. Remember the image. Marriage is a picture of Christ and His bride. Christ sanctifies His bride. He protects His bride. He provides for His bride. Just as a husband is the one responsible to provide for his family. Listen, the burden of provision for the family falls on the husband, the father, not the wife and the mother. 
I do understand that our society believes that we have to have two income families to survive. I personally believe that we can make sacrifices of want. Sacrifices of things that we don't really need to have and can make a one income family work. And ultimately the responsibility, as I said, for those provisions falls on the husband, not the wife, to come through and provide enough money to live a certain lifestyle. Now maybe you're in debt up to your eyeballs. You might can reduce that debt by putting some things on the chopping block. Maybe you need a smaller home or get a cheaper car. Maybe you need to cut off the satellite and not go out to eat. Maybe you need to pay off your credit card bills first. But I believe it can be done because God has done it in our case. He's done it in our case. We have never missed a bill or a meal. Did we have to give up a lot of things? Yes. But we have gained so much more. I'll tell you this. I don't like to throw around numbers, but I want to tell you this. Um, wasn't too many years ago. You know why I work at a Christian school? When people hear private school, they think big money. Okay, <laughs> There's 90-some kids in that school. You do the math. Teachers aren't going to get paid much. So I have made gross $24,000 a year with my wife and kids at home, with a house payment, and with all the other bills that go with that. And God has blessed and met every single need. We have never gone without anything. In fact, He has given us much more than we deserve. Folks, what are our goals? Are we looking to raise godly offspring to see another generation to go forward and give the gospel to a lost and dying world and to be salt and light in front of that lost world? Or is it the accumulation of things? Ladies, at the end of your life, you will never regret spending lots of time in your house making it a home. You will not regret making the raising of your children a priority and your husband a priority. But you will have a truckload of regrets if you make things and careers and money the priority. I have heard many, many older women say, I wish I would have stayed home. I wish I would have worked less and invested more in my family. I have never heard one woman say, one older woman say, I wish I'd have been gone from home more. I wish I'd accumulated more stuff. So women, wives, mothers, are you submitting and respecting your husbands? You are to be pure, and that includes modesty in your dress, not to be extravagant or sensual. And, are, and you are to be managers at home. And you seek to do all these things so that the Word of God might not be slandered. Titus chapter 2 there in verse 4. To love their husbands, to love their wives, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be slandered. The word slandered means to blaspheme. So that God's Word may suffer no scandal. Paul's point is that not only the evil things we say and we do, but also the good things that we fail to say and do dishonor God and His Word before the church and before the world. Unbelievers judge the genuineness and value of our faith more by our living than by what we say about our theology. In doing so, they judge the truth and power of the Word of God by in which in the way in which we live.
The world judges the gospel, which is the heart of the word of God, by the character of the people who believe and claim to be transformed by it. Men and women, let us be greatly consumed with following Christ and be unconcerned with what the world demands of us so that the glory and beauty of Christ might be seen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you will take your truth, your words, and bind it to the hearts of your people that they might obey it. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed.